Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast again today. Today, I've got an exciting guest for you. I've got Mr. Ali Houston. And uh, Ali, if you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, my name is Ali Houston, and I healed my ill health by changing how I ate um, about five years ago. And, you know, I'd, uh, uh, I'd been quite unwell since I was a kid. I had a variety of autoimmune problems. I uh, had to have surgery a couple of times when I was a kid on uh, an autoimmune condition. And um, I was like a, an autoimmune bomb site, really. And went, to, uh, went through my, my teens and my 20s where it became not just about obscure autoimmune problems, but kind of bleeding in quite heavily into my day-to-day life. So had uh, mental health problems like anxiety, depression, and into my late 20s, I found it increasingly difficult to control my weight, which had never been an issue before. And those problems all kept getting worse until I got to when I was about... 29 or 30 and I thought I've had enough of this and I'll start looking around for a solution that I can control because you know different doctors had different levels of engagement and sympathy but they never really tried and never really got to the the root cause uh, which ultimately turned out to be my diet. So I'm guessing um, along your way, then you was getting kind of frustrated and kind of going down different avenues, not able to find a solution to to any mental issues you're having or autoimmune diseases, things like that. So what did what did you eventually find in the end? What was what was the solution you you turned to? Well, I a little bit about my background. When I left school, I worked in high end restaurants. So uh, up in Glasgow, I was in a fish restaurant which kind of blew my mind. Before that, I'd, I'd eaten kind of lots of beige food. I was very picky. And going into like a, a sort of classical French restaurant where you had these amazing dishes coming out all the time um, really opened my horizons. And I started cooking myself. And I really had eat anything. And uh, just got a bit of emergency saliva talking about uh, the, the good old days there. Um, and after kind of working my way up in that industry to kind of doing management positions and contemplating getting into chefing, I decided that the hours were horrendous. The long-term um, kind of career pl- prospects weren't great. And so I decided to go to uni and I ended up with a physics degree which is a bit of a left turn from hospitality. Um, But it meant that I was working in science and um, I ended up, uh, I was a a laser engineer for a while uh, or Bondville and henchman, as I like to call it, and ended up uh, moving towards doing a PhD. So I started a PhD, but my health problems were really sort of coming to a head. And I was was really lucky because one of my uh, supervisors there a professor, a physics professor called Ken Strain, and he was involved in the gravitational wave detection a few years ago. Is you know the the head of that uh, international collaboration won the Nobel Prize um, after that. So smart guy, 
and he'd had chronic fatigue syndrome ME and been told in his 40s that he probably wouldn't work again. You know, he was he was bed bound and uh, things weren't looking good. And kind of similar to me, the doctors ended up just sort of shrugging their shoulders and saying, I'm really sorry, but, you know, you're ill. And he did what he does best, which is dive into the literature and uh, research. And he came up with um, Gary Tobbs and uh, various others, um, Hyperlipid, the, the blog, and found that there was this group of people who'd already realized that there's problems in the body that can be solved by changing how we eat. So he changed how he ate, and six months later, he was running 10Ks again having been told he wouldn't work again. And so he was able to identify these issues I was having could be stemming from what I was eating. And he, he didn't tell me what to do. He just said, here's where the information is. And so I ended up spending more time researching food and nutrition than I was researching physics. And I thought, I've got to give this a try first. And so I switched in... 2016 to a kind of paleo ketogenic diet but then I reintroduced dairy as well so um you might call it a primal ketogenic diet and I've switched in between primal and paleo keto since and almost overnight I noticed problems clearing up you know uh, stomach problems and heartburn that I've had for 25 years disappeared in a week and um, only return if I have something starchy or if I sugary or if, uh, if I have something that I've, I've got an intolerance or an allergy to, um, which I think is quite an individual thing. And I've not really looked back. You know, the, it, within about six months, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. So I would combine the sort of science I'd learned and the food background that I had. And I started my company and, uh, and, and here I am uh, three and a half years later. Yeah, that's great. I mean, on one hand, it's so unfortunate that the doctors and people you were seeing, the experts that you were seeing were just basically shrugging their shoulders saying, look, there's nothing we can do. But then the other hand, great. You found somebody who could steer you in the right direction, something that you, you could research yourself. I mean, again, unfortunately, you have to research it yourself. Why are we not being told these things from the professionals? Um, but yeah, brilliant. You found it out yourself. You went out there looked at the blogs, looked at the, the YouTube, whatever you could find to, to build this nutrition for yourself. I mean, you say it's a, a primal kind of nutrition. What I would say is it's more of a, a real food, nutrient-dense kind of nutrition, which is, which is what I promote to everybody. I know there is the specific keto, paleo, uh, Whole30 camps and things like that, but everybody's different. Not, you don't, you're not going to fall into a specific pigeonhole. Everybody needs to find out where they they fit best so, so i'm pleased you said that that you introduced extra things in there as well so see, see how you go you know certain people can can handle dairy certain people can't certain people can handle more sugars certain people can't so it's all about finding that real food and that real food nutrition and basically what it is is taking out those processed refined foods all like processed refined carbohydrates out of your nutrition and that's what you did and, and look at you today brilliant you've managed to start up your own business doing it so your own business is Paleo Canteen, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Paleo Canteen and it's a cheeky younger sibling, Scoundrel. So Scoundrel is the food product side at the moment. We're doing uh, keto ice cream 
and sugar-free, dairy-free chocolate as well. Um, both luxury products, uh, very rich and delicious and sweet. And um, Paleo Canteen, we've got a cookbook, Low Carb on a Budget, which addresses one of the problems that a lot of people identify with low-carb diet. They, they think it's you know, maybe um, an exclusive diet for posh people or something. But uh, myself and John, who wrote it, set out to, to show that that's just not true, that there's, there's um, plenty you can do on a budget. And uh, so, you know, we've got 85 plus recipes in there. And what we're launching later in the year is a membership so that people can get that little bit of extra support that they need. So whether that's just an online community that they can turn to, or whether it's more like one-to-one uh, health coach training um, and health coaching. I'm currently getting my accreditation in the, uh, in UK, from the UK Health Coaches Association. So I'll have that later in the year. And that's, that's something I'm really looking forward to because, you know, it's all very well and good getting emails from people saying uh, the recipes are great, the, uh, the, um, the food products have been dead useful, but it's not the same as having that one-to-one connection. And uh, that's, that's something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, that's right. I, I know myself, it's all about that one-to-one connection because you can put out as much information out there as you want. You can tell people in a general scale what to do, but until you get that one-to-one, like, like I said earlier, everybody's different. Until you get that one-to-one, then you need to figure out what their goals are, what their aims are, where they need to go with it. Some people need to go in one direction. Some people need to go in another direction. There's all sorts of extra things like exercise and acute stresses and things to bring in mind as well. Um, but tell us a little bit about your book for a moment, because I need to hold my hands up and say, I haven't got it at the moment, <laughs> but I have seen it. I've seen it out there and I've seen a lot of really, really good reviews about it. And particularly because it's low carb on a budget. And like you said, like you referred to, often people think it's expensive. You've got to buy this really expensive steaks, really expensive pieces of salmon and all that. So tell us a little bit about um, how it's how it's just low carb on a budget and what sort of things we should expect to, to see in there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think people talk about food deserts and how it's tough, it's tough for some people to gain access to good quality nutrition and, and uh and meat i'd say that that's true some of the time but a lot of the time the good stuff really is is sitting there on the shelves um it's just not being utilized well so i'm talking about uh, fatty cheaper cuts of meat and that could be um awful it could be uh some of the cuts of beef or lamb that take a bit longer to cook um i love chicken and pork I tend not to eat it as much myself because of the way they're, they tend to be fed. And so they, they have more inflammatory fats persisting. Um, so personally, I stick to more beef, lamb and fish, um, but not really salmon at all. You mentioned salmon and steak, and I think you're right that, that uh, paleo, keto, etc. they have this reputation of uh, being about fillet steak and salmon. And um I, I like fillet steak, but I prefer like a bavette, for example, or a or a rump steak, something that um, you know you can or eat, or a fattier one. Um, shouldn't talk about food so much before I've eaten. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, we've got a chapter on eggs. You know, eggs are a brilliant cheap source of 
amazing nutrition. They're almost like the the reference protein. Um, they're 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 almost like a perfect food, really. And uh, you know, we've got a whole chapter on on recipes for eggs. We've got a whole chapter on recipes for veg. You know, people who 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 love their veg and and get a lot from it. Um, there's so much you can do with it. And I think there's sometimes a bit of a, 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 an attitude about veg in the keto community that maybe it's best just left out. And some people prefer going carnivore, that's fine. But um, there's a lot you can do with it and it's cheap. So, you know, we've, we've tried to, to really cover as many bases as possible uh, for as many tastes as possible and um, keep the, the quality really high so, so that although the ingredients are cheap, the combinations are um, are great. You know, uh, John, who I wrote the book with, he's chefed in some of the best places in the UK. You know, he worked in one of Yotamoto Lenge's places in London and Nopi and uh, various other quality restaurants. And that really shines through in his recipes. You know, he, he can take three, four, five ingredients that are well known to everyone and, and combine them with a bit of magic. So, um, yeah, I cook from it all the time. So is it uh, easy to follow? You would say easy to follow a cookbook then, because like you say, you mentioned chef and I can hear everybody now saying, oh, I can't do chef quality cooking. You know, I can just throw a couple of eggs together. That's it. So are they quite easy to follow recipes? Very much so. Yeah, I think the thing about, I think that's one of the things that made, that's made Yotamotolenghi so successful is, you know, his Middle Eastern style of cooking, um, which John has sort of adapted into his recipes into sort of... Uh, modern British style and it's it's simplicity itself you know you just take a few good ingredients and it's about the, it's about the quality of the ingredients and you, you you do a few simple things to them and away you go you've got a, you've got an instant classic so I think for anyone who's kind of concerned that they don't have the skills they needn't worry it's a it's a it's a very easy to follow book yeah I don't know if you, you touch on it as well in your book, but uh, I often say to people who say, oh, it could be quite expensive being on a low carb diet. I often say, well, what you tend to find is once you get into eating better nutrition, once you get into eating more fats, more proteins, prioritizing those in your meals rather than the, the carbohydrates. And what you often find is you eat less. So you perhaps have less meals through the day, maybe two, maybe two and a half, maybe three, if you're exercising a lot. Um, but then that because that starts off something called intermittent fasting, which I don't know whether um, you touch on, but then you often find that you're spending less because, or even you're spending the equivalent to what you are now, because you're buying less things in to snack on or less, less, you're filling your cupboards with less things, just more nutrient dense food. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I talk about in the introduction and that David, Dr. David Unwin does in his foreword for the book um, that his patients have found that, uh, when they when they switch, that there's less snacking, there's um, there's fewer meals in the day. Typically, most people I think gravitate towards two meals a day, like a, a late breakfast or, or lunch, and and then a, a dinner. Uh, that's what I tend to do as well, and um, it just sort of naturally happened. Like I remember when Ken was talking about how he ate before I decided to dive in. And he, he's more of a one meal a day type of guy. He'll have it over the course of an hour and a half or so in the evening. And I just remember thinking, what is he talking about? <laughs> you just can't imagine it before you become fat adapted. And then it's just the most natural thing in the world after that. Um, and I totally agree that uh, 
nutrient density plays a big part in um, in, in satiating you. And you know, it's the weirdest thing. Not everyone likes awful. Not everyone needs it. But uh, I feel the real benefit from making awful uh, quite regularly. So whether that's lamb heart or um, or beef heart. Uh, it's a patty, you know, we've got a great patty recipe in there. Um, and there's also, you know, other delicious awful recipes um, out there. Um, but I remember the first time I made the, the patty of the recipe that's in the book and I barely ate for two days afterwards. And I think it's because it's so full of nutrition. And if, it, if, if it's the nutrition you need at that time, then your body just says well that's fine you know you don't need to eat anything for a day or two or you just graze a little bit on on some biltong or something like that so yeah i think yeah i think you're absolutely right i mean uh, i often refer back to our ancestors and, and what they did i mean if you think way back into the when there's a lot of tribes around you know they used to make big kills and, and and eat it all then because it was fresh and then perhaps they would go a few days without anything to eat so if you think about it in that kind of scale it's like feast famine sort of thing that's what our bodies are designed to do and also i often find that a lot of people i work with of the same thought process of you was when you started and, and i was when i started as well thinking oh my god one meal a day you know how am i am i going to survive how am i going to get the energy and, and nearly everybody that that i work with says the same sort of thing i i have to eat every couple of hours you know or i can't imagine going without my breakfast i can't imagine going one meal a day but then you know when we finished working with them, it's, the lights have turned on, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't realize I could, I could do this sort of thing. And it's so brilliant to see. And, and everybody can do it. It doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is, everybody can do it. It's just get rid of those processed food because something I've heard you talk about before, and I'd like to get um, your thoughts on it is a, a mental state, a mental attitude, and, and perhaps those things like ADHD and autism and, and all those things in the world. Now, I'm not saying that we could cure them, but what I'm saying is perhaps we could help those people and perhaps we can help people with more mental problems if we started to take out those processed sugars and, and refined foods out of, out of nutrition. Yeah, there's, um, there's this word hysteresis, which they use a lot in physics, where uh, if you do something, then it can cause a permanent effect that when you try to reverse uh or remove the cause it doesn't remove the the effect that you made um so i think there's some hysteresis with these things you know you can have a developmental disorder where there's permanent damage done and you can't undo it by doing all the right things with with health and nutrition and it seems to be that that's the way for uh certain neural degenerative conditions like dementia and uh, Alzheimer's and um, certain uh, conditions like, like autism, where it's been proven now in small but well-conducted studies that a healthy ketogenic diet can help with autism and with, um, with Alzheimer's. But it's it doesn't it doesn't seem to be curative it's not like um the the thing that helps with 
the disease is the thing that can cure it, unfortunately. But that seems to be pretty clear. So I think that um, ADHD is kind of a, a, a description of symptoms. And I think um, I got, you know, I got an official diagnosis and I thought that would help me because it, I could get drugs for it and uh, that would be what I needed. But of course, for me, the word paleo isn't about a very prescriptive set of rules for what you should eat in your diet. It's a philosophy. It's a logic about what our ancestors did to survive. We're only here because they didn't die before they reproduced. And so to me, it seems logical that doing things that they did is a good idea. And being suspicious about things that they didn't do is a good idea. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it at all. You know, for example, you know, because people say, yeah, but what about flying planes? Are you saying we should go back to Paleolithic? And of course that's nonsense because I'm talking about doing things that our bodies are adapted to and that takes tens of thousands of years um, at least. So um, for example, you know, seed oils are implicated in all of these mitochondrial illnesses of, of metabolism um, combined with sugar. It makes it worse. And, you know, we did not have these things in Paleolithic times to uh, the same level. And um, in terms of uh, going back to the, me the mental, mental thing about um, uh, ADHD or, or uh, uh, autism, I think it's, it's hard to bring these subjects up without coming across like you're saying you're, that you can cure them. People, even if you say very clearly that that's not what you're saying, people think you are saying that. So it's part of the problem actually with, um, with a well-formulated low-carb diet is that it does too many good things. So it seems like you're talking rubbish and that you're a quack and a snake oil salesman. And that's something that David Unwin said when he was chatting to me on the podcast was, you know, they had to document it carefully and write it up into a scientifically published paper, a peer reviewed paper, because otherwise his colleagues would just dismiss him and think he would lost his mind. There's no way that a diet can uh, lower blood pressure, improve triglycerides, improve cholesterol profile, people losing eight, nine kilos of weight on average, reversing the type two diabetes, uh, coming off antidepressants, um, coming off mood stabilizers, coming off um, ADHD drugs, um, improving performance at school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it just sounds too good to be true. Um, so it's, it, uh, it's, it's, it's great to see, but there's still barriers to people accepting it. Yeah, I, I totally un understand what you're saying. But I, I think like when you when you put it like that and say, oh, it's like a snake oil. It's like you can't can't believe it's coming out with all these things. It can improve this. It can prove that. Prove that. But the reason why perhaps it seems like that. It seems like oh, it can it can do this. It can do that. It can do the other. Is because we've gone so far the other way. If you went back, sort of even 50, 60 years in, into our grandparents' time, then 
and you told them, oh, yeah, we can cure, we, not we can cure, like you say, but we can help with autism, we can help with ADHD. They'd say, what, what do you mean? You know, what, there's not many people that, that have that anyway. There's not many people who are obese. You know, why are you saying you can, you can help with all these things? It's only because we've gone way too far on the eating processed foods, like you mentioned, eating those sugars, eating those seed oils, all that high calorie dense energy dense food that's not doing our bodies any good we've gone way too far on that scale so now we're having to say whoa hang on a moment let's back step let's look at what's happened to us and now we can stop you being so obese everything that we can do by getting you over to real food real nutrition real nutrient density with those vitamins and those minerals all in your body which our grandparents and definitely our ancestors like you mentioned from the liver and all the awful of the food we're getting in our body. The reason the state we're in now, a lot of people is because we are not getting those. We're not getting those vitamins and minerals. We're just living on that um, calorie dense, energy dense food. So yes, I understand what you're saying about let, let's not put it out there about a cure. Let's make sure it's, it's absolutely clear. We cannot cure these things that we're not doctors, you know, just people who are speaking and, you know, N plus one, N for one, people who are just saying, look, it's happened for us, it's worked for us, so let's get the information out there. And there is obviously studies now, like Dr. David Unwin, and I'm pleased he's put it all out there on paper and things, to say this, to say, look, it's not, we're not looking to cure things. What we're looking to do is just steer you back. This is the whole thing, just steer you back to where we was, not where we've gone. In a way, we've got to show people the road, the fork in the road that we've said, that's the wrong way. You've gone the wrong way. If you come back this way, this was the way that we were supposed to go and we should have been going that way. The way we've gone is the obesity, the mental health, all these problems that we've picked up along the way. It's not that we can cure. It's just that we can pull you back and send you in a, another direction. And I'm pleased um, you said it like that because that's <laughs> cleared that up for everybody. That's great. <laughs> so in, in terms of, of actual foods then as well, I mean, you mentioned awful and and eggs and great things like that. There is a lot around now that people should be looking more over to the plant-based uh, spectrum, especially I exercise a lot, I train a lot, and I work with a lot of athletes as well who say to me, I'm gonna get this, pro, this protein powder, which is plant-based. I'm gonna go over to this plant-based protein. And I often try and steer them away from it in, in one sense because animal proteins um, hopefully you'll agree are more nutrient dense are more bioavailable yeah everyone has their own choices to make and I think that the reasons people have typically for doing a plant-based diet um, don't stand up to much scrutiny so when it comes to healing the planet I think that is um, really just a bust I think uh, if you look into it there's been tens of millions of large ruminant animals roaming the earth for millions of years. The idea that they're, they're suddenly causing global warming is uh, troubling. There's more horses in America than cows. What's the, you know, there, there's some kind of um, PR thing going on. It's really a battle for calories. You know, um, the, there's uh, groups of massive companies are perfectly open about campaigning against meat and in favor of plant-based on the basis of it being environmental. But, you know, we're talking about companies that make pasta and um, patented uh, plant-based meat substitutes. So 
it's not hard to see a conflict of interest there and a circular logic. You know, um, they say it uh, is better for the environment and therefore they're making these things. I would say they're making these things and, and therefore saying that it's better for the environment. Um, and people just have to make their own minds up in that regard. But there's plenty of scientists out there who are reputable who, uh, who, who say that, you know, ruminant agriculture is good for the soil. It's the, th it's, the, it's the only thing that properly builds soil up instead of stripping it of nutrients. Um, in terms of caring for animals, I completely understand the thought of, uh, of taking a life is distressing for a lot of people. And I think it's even distressing for hunters a lot of the time. You know, they, they take time to uh, sort of give thanks, gratitude and respect for taking the life of an animal. I, I personally don't have a problem with it at all. I think, um, you know, cows just simply don't have the same understanding of what's going on around them. And if, and if a cow, we're very lucky in, in the UK, if a cow's been uh, eating grass outside most of its life under the care of a farmer, farmers usually love their animals and treat them really well. Because if you don't, then you typically don't end up with, uh, with much uh, to sell. And um, then I'm, I'm quite happy with, with that situation. I understand how some people aren't, but I would also say that, uh, you know, row crop agriculture kills a lot of animals. You know, you have to keep pests under control and um, animals die in the threshers and so on. So it's, it's not just as simple as, as, uh, as being nice versus being nasty. Um, but again, if people just simply don't buy that and want to do it, then fair enough. And um, there's, there's doctors who work with people on nutrition and, uh, and other nutritional uh, therapists and so on. And um, just from my own experience of talking to people, people can do well on a well-formulated vegetarian or vegan diet, you've just got to be super careful to not be deficient in, um, in, certain, uh, in certain nutrients. And you will have to supplement to get them if you're vegan uh, in a way that if you're eating um, plenty of animal sourced foods, then you typically don't have to. So that would be, that, that would be what I would say. There's a really good, uh, group on Facebook called Vegan Keto Made Simple. So if people insist on, on staying plant-based but want to try low carb, then it's where, I, it's where I tend to point them to because they're really responsible about saying, listen, if you're vegan, you have to supplement with, you know, all of these things, vitamin D, vitamin B12, you might want to look at zinc and B6 and all this stuff because um, of the, you know, anti-nutrients and, um, and so on that you find in, in a lot of the the, the vegan foods um it's so it's possible but much more difficult yeah exactly that's exactly what i say so it is possible and um you've just got to be really really smart about it you've got to make sure that your body's getting all those fat soluble vitamins and, and everything that it needs from from if you're not getting it from your nutrition like you say you have to supplement but um i, I never turn anybody away from from veganism vegetarian say so fine try it go for it because uh, it's kind of a step on the ladder, I'd say. Like, if you're having a, a processed food or a lot of junk food and and all that throughout your life, and then you decide suddenly, okay, I want to be a vegan vegetarian, I'll say, great, you know, go for it. Let's really start to refine your nutrition because it's a step up the ladder. I mean, the one that I always want at the top is obviously nutrient dense real food at the top, including a lot of animal produce. But I see veganism and, and vegetarianism as 
you're actually starting to think about what you're putting in your body. You're actually starting to think about what your body needs. So it's a great step to take. Um, and also just touching on the uh, uh, thing that you said there with the animals and the, and the ethics and the sustainability of it is that people always have that argument of, well, you have to kill a cow to eat it. Yes, you do. All right. But if you eat all of the nutrient dense food from the cow, the organs and the, the bones and everything, then you are getting so much from that one single animal and everything dies so that everything else can live. So something in the past, like you mentioned with our ancestors, we had to kill things to survive. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for our ancestors eating animal produce. But think about how many creatures, how many living things, how many animals have their lives taken by mass scale monocropping or pesticides and just basically taking over land that animals would have roamed in, lived in. Then they get killed for no reason. Nobody even eats them. They just die. So is that better? I don't know. You know, the question's there. And like you said, with the, the sustainability, it's far better to farm land that keeps getting all that manure, keeps getting all those good nutrients from the cow and from animals that graze it, rather than being stripped of everything from plants. Because everybody knows your plant has to grow. So for in order for your plant to grow, whatever crop it is, wheat or rapeseed, whatever it is, it has to take up all those nutrients and all those extra things it needs from the soil to grow. So it's not giving anything back. So we need to put something there that's giving it back and that's where the, the animals come in so that is great i'm pleased you touched on all that there that's covered that subject brilliantly planning ahead then what do you think um, where are you going to go next you gave us a little insight into you're going to go into health coaching and that is there more to come from paleo canteen i know you've got the podcast as well which is great yeah really enjoy the podcast and um yeah that's called the canteen podcast if anyone wants to check it out and uh yeah i'll be expanding my offering so that we're, we're planning another cookbook and resources for people uh, that we can bundle together and people can buy them all at once and um, that, I think that'll be a great lead into you know offering people more support so whether they want one-to-one -one coaching or they want um, just a, a, a community online with uh, live Q&As and resources that they can use um, that's that's the plan really and a and just keeping um, keeping the, the food products going, you know? So uh, we've got new flavors planned for the chocolate. We've got new flavors planned for the, the ice cream. And, oh yeah, uh, tell us a bit more about this ice cream. I, I have heard about this ice cream. It's one of your flagship things, isn't it? So is it, so it, I presume it's all low carb. It's all, is it keto? Is it paleo? What is it? It's keto. Um, it's made with double cream, although we're planning a coconut cream based one. So at the moment, we've got two flavours, vanilla and mint, and we're on sale in shops uh, across Scotland. So uh, mainly around Glasgow and Edinburgh, but we've also got, um, we're also in, in shops in Stirlingshire and Fife. And um, it's, it's one of those products which, you know, really does well. It'll do well when it gets into a larger store. So, you know, people are like, oh, when are you going to be in, in this part of England? When are you going to be in, uh, in northern Scotland and so on, and it, it, we're just we're just still um, talking to the larger retailers, and I expect that it will will be um, will be in one of the larger retailers um, in in due course, and um, the response has been great. People absolutely love it. You know, they say that uh, 
they're just delighted that they can have ice cream again with without needing to worry. I've got a pot here I can show you. And um yeah the, scoundrel, yeah. Scoundrel, yeah. So it's it's a it's a delicious luxury treat really. Um and we we uh went for the same idea with the chocolate too. It's uh it's a it's a premium product um and uh we we really strive to make make them as good as we possibly can with the best possible ingredients because there's so-called low-carb products out there which kind of tick boxes but maybe have filler ingredients that don't make people feel very good and that's not something we're interested in at all so, so we don't do, mind do. charging a higher price because we're we're selling something which is top quality yeah without a doubt i presume and you've got nothing uh, no added extras like any seed oils or any particular things like that in there any 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 of the names for sugars because i've touched time before that sugar has a, a million different names well 200 i think exactly i spoke to um some professors from sugar proof the book and he said yeah there's over 200 names now for for sugar including all kinds of syrups and and anything that ends in ose usually <laughs> so yeah well it's uh, interesting yeah. with the chocolate to call it chocolate, you have to add sugar. It has to be made with cocoa and sugar. So um, we didn't realize that for the first batch and now we've changed it so that there's uh, just a tiny hint of coconut sap, which is an unrefined coconut sugar, but it's in at a level that doesn't even really move the needle. So it's still a sugar-free product at 0.1 grams of sugar per 100 grams. But the, it's a weird quirk of the yeah. law that to call it chocolate, which of course we want to do. We don't want to call it like a chocolate substitute or something. Um, so we added that. But like it's exactly as you say, we don't. We're not like some of these pretend keto products, which um, just erode confidence in in uh, trust in the in the food industry. Yeah, I think the uh, thing out there at the moment is keto friendly. If you see something, it says keto friendly. <laughs> check the ingredients. You know, I often say to people about checking ingredients for every single thing you buy. And I often, I had a comment the other day from somebody I worked with who said, it, it takes me twice as long to do my shopping now because I'm checking all these ingredients. And I said, great, that's a good thing. You know, it, uh, only, it only does that for so long and then you just don't pick them up anymore. So, <laughs> but, Absolutely. Uh, do you use sweeteners then? Because that's something I wanted to ask you because I have learned over doing my podcast and, and even after I have done all my nutrition and everything, I've learned afterwards that some particular sweeteners can still raise insulin and can still give you a sugar spike. So have you researched this and looked into that? Yes, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's kind of something that um, I was very interested in from the start because I've got a very sweet tooth and um, keto ice cream is something I would make for myself from the get-go and it allowed me to uh, change my diet radically whilst not feeling like I was totally missing out. Um, and I was amazed, you know, I was having like a pint of keto ice cream most days and the weight was just dropping off. It's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. um, and I felt great. And um, I used Truvia, which was the, the main brand around at the time, um, using erythritol and stevia. You know, stevia is from a leaf, uh, which is very sweet, um, but can be a bit bitter. And erythritol can be isolated from various various things but it's a, a it's called a sugar alcohol or a polyol and um it has about 70 percent the sweetness of sugar and when it's combined with stevia it goes really well so i was using truvia um the reason i use truvia as opposed to some of the cheaper alternatives like 
uh, xylitol or sucralose or maltodextrin or any of these things is that um, is that it, erythritol hardly interacts with the body at all. It tastes sweet and then it more or less just gets uh, passed out as waste. So you, 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 some people have a problem uh, with it um, digestively like xylitol, but xylitol tends to be worse. So erythritol has the lightest touch and doesn't raise blood sugar and um, similarly with stevia. So I use both of them in the ice cream and in the chocolate it's just erythritol. Uh, because the, the recipe is a bit more delicate and um, it's, it's a, it, stevia can be a little harder to, to predict, uh, sometimes be bitter, like I say. So um, I think, you know, it's not like sugar where table sugar, honey, um, you know, any pretty much, I gave, I gave syrup, any, any sugar that you could name pretty much spiked blood sugar in a very similar way. Sweeteners are, are, are very varied um, and xylitol can be okay. It's dangerous for dogs, so it's not a great idea to keep around if you've got pets. Um, but erythritol is, is typically very well uh, handled and um, doesn't raise blood sugar uh, and is pretty affordable. And uh, similarly with stevia, allulose and monk fruit are extremely popular in America. And they're going through the regulatory process in Europe. I think monk fruit is going to probably shove uh, stevia aside when it comes in because it doesn't have that bitterness. Um, and that that's my take on, on sweeteners. I think they can be very useful to bridge people away from the worst foods. But what they can do as well is stimulate cravings for sweet things. That's what a lot of people find is that they have this love-hate relationship with sweeteners and in the end, they have to knock them on the head because they're actually urging them to overeat on things that they shouldn't be. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I talked about earlier on um, when I said that the vegan was potentially a step into looking into your nutrition. I think it's the same kind of thing with sweeteners. They're, they're a step in the right direction and they get you off sugars. So they're great to have like that. And there are obviously better options like you described with the erythritol. And the monk fruit, I think, is one that's hopefully going to be introduced into more things more often because the more studies are found on monk fruit, a lot more people can tolerate it. And it is just it just never shows up on any glucose or any insulin spike or anything like that. Some people find even erythritol that it can be a bit bitter if it's in uh, excess into a, a product. But again, it's all about looking into what you're buying, looking at how much of the sweeteners in there, how much of it can you taste it? You know, is it one for you? No, but but like you say, sweetener, um, stevia and, and erythritol mix is usually the one that everybody goes down. The Pure Sweet is is my favorite brand all in. Um, you yeah, can, get, you them can get that from Amazon, can't you? Amazon, yeah, and and. Uh, um they've they've just nailed the the flavor mixture i think it they've just found the the right erythritol and the right stevia because different brands taste wildly different so i'd say pure sweet's my favorite yeah that's great i mean we experimented in our house because when we was doing the transition from a, a high processed high sugar diet we kept having um these little brownie bakes and things but i would say it was too sweet my wife would say it wasn't so what we did was we bought erythritol and stevia and found out what was worked best for both of us, what the mixture was for both of us. 
now don't tend to have them because like I say, and like I say to everybody, these, these treats, these chocolates, these ice creams are great for when you want them in your diet. Like I probably say once a month, twice a month, you know, things like that now. But when you are making that transition, they are super, super good to help you cure that sweet tooth that a lot of people have and just uh, your ice cream, your chocolate are great things for that, doing that sort of thing. So, uh, well, that's been absolutely amazing talking to you today. I'm going to have to end it there, but uh, let's tell people where they can find you and, and follow you and, and what's the name of that podcast you got again? Yeah, so they can listen to the Canteen podcast at paleocanteen.co.uk or any of the normal podcast uh, channels. And you can find me at the website, paleocanteen.co.uk or at paleocanteen uh, on any of the socials. And similarly, at Eat Scoundrel. I'm on, the, I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram with that. Is that where they can find your ice cream and your chocolate there then? Yeah, that's right. You can buy the chocolate from the website at paleocanteen.co.uk and you can uh, follow the socials and find out uh, updates and, and special offers and stuff. That's brilliant. So one last thing before you go, I ask everybody this, and I, I like to spring the question at the end. What's the one thing somebody can do tomorrow that they wasn't doing today that could help them lead a healthier, nutrient-dense path? I think sustainable change comes from being self-aware about your own goals. So I would, I would suggest people ask the question, is what they're doing serving those goals? Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. As easy as that, as quick as that. That was great. Yeah. Just highlight it in lights. That's why I always say. Put it up there, put it on your bedroom wall, look at it every single day, have it written down. That's your goal. That's what you need to do. And all the things, everything within your lifestyle, not just your nutrition, highlight it. That's what you're aiming for. So go for it. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Ali. That's been great. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks to Ali for coming on the podcast and joining us and discussing some great subjects. Go check him out at Paleo Canteen. And why not try some of his ice cream and chocolate at Eat Scoundrel? Go check that out too. Now, you may have seen on social media that our new cooking apron is available in our website shop now. It's with free UK delivery. But if you'd like international shipping, then just email us and we'll... Send us your details and we'll sort something out for you. You can now pick your favourite colour too, so go take a look at humannutritionlifestyle.com forward slash shop. Don't forget to come and join us on any social media. We're at Human Nutrition Lifestyle on Instagram and the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Facebook group. Come and join us there. It would be great if you could leave us a rating and a review so others could follow along and others can find our podcast but thank you very much for listening today. Stay happy, be safe, and I'll see you next time.